0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. It is Monday, November the 14th, 2022, a Monday, and if it's Monday in Northern California, there must be another ego crisis in Silicon Valley, another... (laughs) CEO of a big tech company, misbehaving, making a fool of themselves, upsetting people. Of course, Elon Musk is the pin-up boy for all that, but there are many others as well. Um, I'm at the Techonomy Conference, where perhaps some of the more responsible members of the tech community meet every year to talk about the challenges and opportunities of um, big tech and technology in terms of solving the world's biggest, deepest, uh, most complex problems, and the issue of ego and the responsibility of the tech community came up today in a speech by the um, by the uh, the CEO and president of Autodesk, a company that many of you will have heard of, uh, Andrew uh, Anagnost, uh, Andrew. Uh, you don't have any ego with you sometimes? Oh, I, think, I have
1: plenty of ego. We're, we all have ego in this in this business. Exa- you know,
0: talking about uh, uh, people in, in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. W- what were you trying to say at Techonomy today about the dangers of ego in tech?
1: Yeah, what, what I was trying to say is there's a danger that the, in tech that the pursuit of notoriety over collaborative problem solving can get in the way of tech's better nature. Right? Uh, we, we live in an era where Tech is moving at a a speed that is unprecedented in the history of tech, and also its reach and depth into our lives is incredibly intense. And when people come in with ego-driven initiatives that they can't quite tap down, what happens is they kind of bias towards... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) They kind of bias towards their pursuit at all costs, which gets in the way of the impact on the end users, on the ecosystems, and the communities that they work in. And frankly, it also leads to a lot of get-rich-quick schemes. I mean, we're right off last week where we had some great news about FTX and all the things that was happening there. There was a leader that was heralded as kind of a savior. Boy genius. Yes, a boy genius, a savior, you know, going to save crypto. And look look what happened, okay? And, and I, I think more and more tech is becoming uh, vulnerable to this kind of ego problem because a lot of money is being made in tech. Tech's reach in our economy is quite significant, more significant than it's really ever been in its history. And I think we have to find ways to check this. You know, and, and by the way, we can all be enablers here because to impress people now in the tech community, if you're not disrupting 15% of the economy, then well, You can't possibly be a serious tech leader. And I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, are those the right yardsticks? Or is some of the people who are working on problems, you know, in obscurity uh, more valuable and should be celebrated more than some of the people who are more visible?
0: What has changed, Andrew? I mean, you... If we'd have been making this argument 10 or 15 years ago, uh, we all know that we can use Elon Musk as, as someone who self-evidently is, is, is too full of himself and has a problem with ego, but 10 or 15 years ago, we could bring up Steve Jobs, who in some ways has a similar dictatorial character to Elon Musk, and yet he was the guy who invented the iPhone. He has invented, in many ways, um, the future of technology. Is it... The type of leaders that have changed, or is it tech that has changed, that has made us so much more vulnerable and critical of egoistic leaders in big tech? I think it's both, actually, okay? Because you're, you're right. We've always had
1: big egos in tech, and we always will have big egos in tech. But what was different about Steve Jobs? Okay, When Steve Jobs was coming up, one, the the amount of the... Overall social economy that, that you hit the overall total economy that that Steve Jobs could impact was not nearly as big as What a tech leader can impact today, but also? Despite all of his reputation as being dictatorial and as being arrogant He was relentlessly focused on Satisfying the end user and the quality of the product that he was trying to bring to the end user today tech the, Look it's harder to get a Nobel Prize than it's ever been. Scientific achievement. It's getting harder to make breakthrough achievements in science, right? If you're in chemistry or if you're in physics, the bar to make an achievement is going way up, maybe less so in biosciences and and medical sciences. And in tech, the bar to look impressive and to get attention in tech has gone up. And as a result, tech now has gotten to this place where it's like, wow, you know, if you're not a visionary that's changing the way everybody lives and works, then maybe you're not a visionary at all. And I think that change in tech's expectations about how we impact things is a serious problem. And it actually gets in the way of us empowering the right kind of leaders.
0: I'm curious about your take on Mark Zuckerberg. He seems to exist on on both sides of the mountain. He was initially embraced as the next boy genius, the inheritor of Steve Jobs' mantle. And now he, with Musk and one or two others, has become Uh, primary evidence of tech out of control. Are there two sides to Mark Zuckerberg? Are there two sides to Elon Musk? After all, even Elon Musk can be defended. He was the guy who pioneered Tesla, which most of us believe is a good thing in terms of the environment. Look, uh,
1: I'm not a Musk hater. Uh, I would argue that like a year and a half ago, uh, Elon Musk, despite his flaws, was a net positive to society. Between what SpaceX has done for access to space and what Tesla did, has been pretty, pretty amazing. But things have changed, right? There's a little bit of a complex that comes along here. You could ca- possibly call it an Icarus complex that's changing the impact of these people. I, I think, w- with Zuckerberg, I think there's a different kind of discussion to have here. Social media and the ad model, I I think the ad model perverted the idea that Zuckerberg originally had. And a matter of fact, it's one of the things that's changed tech in a way that is not for the better. Because it's created this kind of huge amount of money that flows into tech at unprecedented levels. And the ad model separates the tech leader from what's good for the end user. So rather than delighting the end user, increasing their productivity, increasing the outcomes they want to achieve, the advertising model has turned tech into an uh, attention-sucking platform. And I think that's a problem. And I think Zuckerberg got trapped in some of that stuff.
0: Zuckerberg got trapped, but he's also trapped himself. Isn't he, again, exhibit A? in the problems of corporate architecture. He has way too much power. He's created a board, which isn't really a board. Whatever Mark Zuckerberg wants, Facebook does. Many people believe that his massive investment in, in the metaverse is insane, but there's nothing anyone can do. Is there a need to reform corporate structure, Andrew? You're at Autodesk, a large company worth many billions of dollars. So... You have pretty good experience of, of these corporate structures. Well, yeah, but I work in a different structure. Okay, there's there's no special classes of shareholders. You know, Steve Jobs. You know, Mark Zuckerberg. I am no. I'm not a Steve Jobs. I'm do not, you ever park in disabled spots?
1: I do not park in disabled spots. <laughs> Does Mark Zuckerberg park in disabled no, spots? No, Steve Jobs did. Uh, so, you no, know, I don't. I don't. I don't do that. Uh, but here's here's the thing. Okay, I I operate under a very different corporate structure. Okay, I don't. There's no special classes of shares. You know, I am accountable to. Most Multiple stakeholders. I would, I would, I would agree with you that some of these corporate structures that maintain total control in, in, to the founder are not necessarily creating an ability for uh, corporate governance to maintain accountability. And I think we should tr- explore that as a tech community. And is it right to ensure that the founders have? absolute control over the company even after it's a public traded entity. I don't care if it's a privately held entity, they can do whatever they want, but when you become a publicly held company, what is the mechanism for accountability? And I think that's something that we have to be careful about and we have to pay attention to as we
0: move forward. Maybe one of the reasons why Musk privatized uh, Twitter. Well, there's an argument sometimes when you take something private that you can fix it
1: faster because you don't have the pressure of investors to, uh, to kind of counteract the forces of changing things. I, I, think, I think Twitter is, is complicated, and I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure Twitter plays to uh, the strengths of the individuals involved
0: yeah i don 't think anyone would argue with you, Andrew, that Twitter is as you say complicated um, i 'm going to be doing a session tomorrow with David uh, Kirkpatrick of techconomy, which we 're going to be discussing in his view, the normalization of the internet economy that internet companies, big tech companies, mm-hmm. small tech companies startups they 're becoming no different from companies in other sectors. Uh, do you think that Your argument about ego, perhaps models of more normal companies like Autodesk, are the future of technology? You're never going to have in the future these ridiculously high growth companies, ones like Facebook, when David knows Facebook as well as anyone who he argues is the most profitable company in the history of the world. Mm -hmm.
1: I think we've learned something in this era of tech, or at least I hope we've learned something, all right? I think it's this, there's this illusion that if you go in there and you disrupt something quickly and you shove the disruption down people's throats, that somehow that's the only way you can make the disruption happen. I think we're moving into an era where tech is going to see more regulation, especially with the rise of artificial intelligence and its implications to society in general. You're going to see more types of regulation coming into the system. And people are probably going to find, and this is just my point of view, that Collaborating with the ecosystem on the disruption, bringing the ecosystem along, rather than cramming the disruption in, may actually be the fastest path to impact. I would argue that some of these companies that crammed disruptions in, and then had to go fix the mess, actually actually lengthened their time to the kind of positive impact they were trying to do, because they had so much wreckage that they had to clean up. So I do think we might be entering an era where collaborative disruption may be more of the norm and, and less of the minority that it is today.
0: How have you successfully, or seemingly successfully, steered Autodesk between the, the extreme, these two extremes of one, these absurdly high growth companies that often crash, and companies without innovation? What do you offer other companies, other startups at um, Autodesk that we don't always hear about when we hear about? Uh, models of tech companies? Look, I, I think patience is
1: the number one thing people need to pay attention to here. If you really want to build something that lasts and you really want to change an ecosystem in positive ways for the long term, you don't try to get it all done in five, six, or seven years. You take the long view You try to understand what the impacts of the technology you're bringing into the ecosystem are going to be, and you work patiently to make it happen. Now, some would argue, well, that just opens the door to a competitor. Possibly. So you have to be nimble and you have to respond. But if you're trying to make it all happen fast, I think that's, that's the route to maybe successfully exiting at some point, but not necessarily creating a permanent change to the ecosystem you're serving.
0: I use some of your products, and I have to admit I'm, I'm happy with them. I'm not an, an advertisement for them, but it seems as if you never gave up on the idea, which many did in the Web 2.0 age, that products should be free, and therefore the only way to build businesses was around advertising. You always charge for your products, yes. and people always paid. What, um, what lessons does that give other startup entrepreneurs thinking of new products, new services, particularly in our cloud age?
1: Because the, here's the thing. Because our customers pay for our software and subscription is the mechanism that we use to get it to them, we have to continually earn their business. And when they're unhappy, they stop paying the subscription. They'll, they'll get angry with us. They'll send us letters. They'll let us know how they feel. But when the customer's paying, and they're the end user, and they're the source of your income, you have to make sure they're satisfied, they're productive, and they're moving forward. The problem with the ad model, and I've said this many times, is that the customer is not the end user, it's the advertiser. That created a fundamental disconnect between who you're building the software for, and who's actually filling the piggy bank. And I think that's a problem, and I think startups should avoid that and focus on business models that connect them to their customer, not to some third party.
0: And it also ended up, in my view, forcing Web 2.0 companies whose business model was advertising, spinning romantic, seductive narratives to users, saying that they were the ones in control. They were empowered. All this stuff was for them. And of course, as you suggested, they became the product. They were the product. Yeah? They were the
1: product and ultimately what did they sacrifice? Their privacy, all right? Their 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 personal information and frankly their attention. How much of their attention has been consumed by the relentless pursuit of eyeballs and content that creates attention? Now, look, right now TikTok's on the rise. You could argue that the quality of the content on TikTok is far below the quality of any other the, the existing video streaming services.
0: Which is saying something.
1: Which is saying something, right? So I, I think we're entering another era where people's attention are going to be taken away from productive activities in the service of what? Advertising dollars.
0: Shoshana Zuboff was on the show. She's an old friend. Of course, she invented the term surveillance capitalism. How do you protect your customers' data? Um, Customers who use your software and do you need to charge for products in order to really guarantee data privacy? Not always.
1: You don't always need to charge for products to
0: guarantee uh, da- data privacy. For instance, you know, we,
1: we offer a lot of products for free to education users. Right? All of our products are free to students. All right? We still protect their privacy to the same fidelity that we protect other people's privacy. I think one of the critical things about us, uh, us philosophically is we don't seek to monetize the data through a third party. As a result, we have an incentive for the customer to feel safe for giving the data to us so that we can use it to provide intelligent augmentation back to them. And I think that's the virtuous cycle we're trying to create. It's like, look, you let us have access to your data. We'll provide you tools that augment your capabilities to solve problems. And we're not going to sell the data to somebody else to create an adjacent monetization stream that is not directly benefiting you. And I think staying to that philosophy is going to be important, especially in the new era of technology.
0: Andrew, I've written books on this. Many people have about the impact of first and second wave internet technologies on creative communities. Yes. The photography industry was decimated. Writers, filmmakers, um, many others you supply tools to professional creatives. What's your take on the state of the professional creative industry of individuals wanting to write, wanting to make films, wanting to make music um, in in 2022?
1: Yeah, so, so our take is that they're going to have more tools that are going to allow them to do more things than they were able to do before. There's a lot of people in our community, in the architecture side of the community, in the special effects side of the community that think somehow the technology that Autodesk is doing is going to automate them away. Just like publishing got automated away, photography got automated away to some some extent. We, We don't pursue that. What we pursue is augmentation. And I think that is a critical part of where these creatives are going to get new types of tools. They're going to get tools that help them solve problems more rapidly. That does mean one thing, and I think it's important to, uh, to, to realize this. Some expertise is going to get democratized in the future. So there are going to be more people participating in higher levels of creative endeavors than may have been able to participate in the past. I think that's a good thing. Not everybody might think that's a good thing, but I think more people being able to have access to the capability to do highly creative problem solving is actually good for society.
0: What's your feeling about new products like Dali, which use AI to enable creatives? Dali provides artwork uh, for people who, who don't have artistic skills, uh, yeah. feeding it into these AI engines. we can. There's a. There's a mania for this at the moment in Silicon Valley, one always is rather suspicious when I'm skeptical of, of these kind of manias. They usually end in tears. What's your sense?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that's the path to go, all right? I, like you've seen some of the output of Dolly. Some of it's very interesting, some of, it, some of it's very soulless, all right? To put I, it politely. Yes. Yeah, so and some of it's actually downright strange.
0: Yeah, most of it's that from my experience.
1: Well, And look, I've seen some things that aren't quite so strange, but I think these technologies that that seek to like, here, give me a word list or give me a concept and I'm going to generate what you need for them. I don't think those are going to create the most productive and human uh, outcomes that people really want to consume. I think a collaboration between the machine intelligence and the human being is going to provide a much better outcome and it's going to create outcomes that people want to engage with so we're going through an era where some people want to just you know show how creative they are technologically by automating the generation of anything i think we're going to end up in a place where there is a cooperative relationship between the computer and the human being to create really inspiring artistic and creative content and we're just not there yet we're going through a different era where people think something else is going to happen i don't believe that's what's going to happen
0: it's rather like chess, isn't it? Uh, uh, player, humans without computers get beaten yeah. by humans who play with computers, but computers on their own aren't very good chess players. Yeah.
1: Well, Look, you know, the, the big thing was when the, the Go, when the computer beat the Go champion. Okay? These are rule-based systems. All right? The idea that we can reduce all of human creativity to a set of rules is probably a flawed idea. Because humans are completely imperfect. And actually, it's our ability to actually not follow a particular rule or do something that is orthogonal to a rule that actually makes us interesting and makes our creative endeavors interesting. Computers can only duplicate what they've seen over and over again. The idea that suddenly a computer is going to have some kind of creative consciousness and you'll be able to introduce the kind of wobbling that goes on in our brains all the time, it could happen. I don't think it's going to happen soon.
0: You have to be nimble, Andrew. I mean, your industry is changing as, as much as anyone. To, to what extent should we ex, expect consolidation, mergers and acquisitions as a, uh, as a creative online? Uh, I, I, and I've spoken about this and written about this extensively. I would like to see a one-stop shop where I can do everything from <laughs> Substack to Restream to some of your services. Can we expect yeah. that in the future? Yeah, you
1: know, I, I think that's a seductive idea. I don't think people really want that, okay? Because I, I think if you, if you want to keep the system healthy and rejuvenating, you want to be able to do a certain amount of things on a, on a single platform. You want to be able to connect a certain amount of things. So there's a lot of stuff that Autodesk can do to act as the intermediary between different disciplines, like architects, construction professionals, you know, design engineers, or through me- from mechanical engineers to electrical engineers or manufacturing professionals. We can play the arbitration engine between those things and produce the machine intelligence that helps those people understand each other. But I think there's always going to need to be, and there should be room for, additional solutions that enhance that ecosystem. So people want the one-stop shop, but do do you really have a one-stop shop on your iPhone?
0: Well, I guess if you want to use the the analogy of uh, supermarkets, we all got supermarkets for one-stop shops, and now we miss butchers and bakers and fishmongers.
1: I think think you have to leave a vibrant ecosystem out there that's solving lots of niche solutions because there's always going to be niche solutions. I don't see a world where one company does it all for everybody across everything that's going on, and I don't think that's the right
0: answer. You are leaders, market leaders in 3D technology, a lot of talk at techonomy about uh, the metaverse. Mm-hmm. How real is the metaverse in your view? Is it just a, a figment of, of Mark zuckerberg's imagination? We had Neil Stevenson on the show, the guy who invented it, but as he told me, he invented it as a joke. Many people still view it as a joke
1: yeah, because, it, because it's kind of a dysfunctional, dystopian world. I, look I I think there was a great presentation earlier about where metaverses are on the on hype the, on the, the, um, cycle and how people are now heading down into the bottom of the hype cycle. I think the professional applications of metaverse technology are real, and they're going to be impactful, and most of them around augmenta- augmented reality. Am I personally going to spend all my time in a metaverse, out of, out of what Stevenson's wrote about? Probably not. More like mo- most likely, absolutely not. However. There are professional applications on construction sites, in manufacturing facilities, where overlaying virtual environments on top of physical environments have real applicability. And we believe those places are going to be used, and that's more about augmentation than immersion.
0: Thanks so much for watching this Keen On show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or, or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keen on show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network, uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have uh, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keen On show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally. Uh, Perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows, you might email me at a.keen at me.com. Or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of of people with interesting new books and projects which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keen On. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not too distant future.